Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we continue our series. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Now, you remember that this miniature series in chapters 12, 13, and 14 is about love. It's about love. Carnal Corinthians and confused charismatics fixate on the supernatural, but the most supernatural, the most miraculous is not some particular gift. It is, in fact, divine love. Shed abroad in the hearts of God's people. And spiritual gifts are just an outworking of that love for one another. When we're not motivated by love for one another, the spiritual gifts cease to be spiritual. They cease to be gifts. And the fact that this is all about love, that love is a miracle, is not some sentiment We're not reading out of the Precious Moments Bible. Dead men, spiritually dead men and women, cannot love. Now you might say, have you not seen a mother with her child? Have you not seen a a young man in love? Have you not seen a young soldier go to war for his country? That's love. Sadly... Those aren't necessarily examples of divine love. Those are not examples of godly love necessarily. They can be when you see born-again believers doing them, but God graciously created us with natural affections, natural hormones, and those things carry themselves out in ways that by God's grace are good for humankind in general. Love, however, is self-sacrificing. Love is motivated by the glory of God. Love is wanting to see people come to a nearer and dearer relationship with the king who bought them by his blood. As a result, that's Love, real love, is impossible for men or women or children motivated by self, by what they get out of the relationship. First point tonight, if I have not love, if I do not love, I am worse than nothing. Worse than nothing. Nothing. Verses 1, 2, and 3. What's worse than nothing? How is that even possible? 
Paul answers in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3. If I do not love, I am a nuisance. Verse 1. I waste my own life. Verse 2. And I hurt myself. Verse 3. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. Would you rather only hear ringing, buzzing in your ears and nothing else? Or would you rather just hear nothing at all? I don't know about you. I tried to use this as a good image. I'd rather hear nothing at all than a constant ringing. How about you guys? Okay, good. We're all in agreement about this. Verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. I could speak every human language. I could sing with an angel's voice. I could monologue like Shakespeare. But if I'm not compelled by love for Christ and for his people, it's echoing brass. It's shrilling percussion. The language I'm going to be rather over the top about this because it's so graphic. It's a resonating jar. It's like blowing in a hollow bottle. Now the image is that bronze vases were located around the amphitheater, the, the ancient auditorium to amplify the acoustics. And if wrongly positioned, they would have this annoying humming, this zapping buzz. And that's what Paul's talking about. Loveless is lifeless. It's hollow. It's deafening drums. It's a monkey clanging snares. And Paul actually uses an onomatopoeia for piercing wails. It's the word alalazon, alalazon, alalazon. It's, it's, it's a word that sounds like the noise it makes. If not for love, I am heavy metal in the morning. Can you imagine waking up to heavy metal? Some of you might prefer that because you're psychotic. The greatest sermon ever preached is painful noise irritating the corridors of heaven. If not motivated by love. I was convicted of this. I could prepare all week. I could spend time with the Lord. But if I'm not loving you, it's nothing. It's worse than nothing. It is a nuisance in God's economy. It's annoying in God's economy. People might be impressed. All of you could be impressed, but the church is actually not benefited by roaring static. It's more benefited by roaring static than it is loveless preaching or teaching or giving or compassion or leadership or encouragement. And, verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I am actively wasting my own life. How many of you endeavor to waste your life? That it's your dream to waste your life. Good. All right. 
We're still on the same page. I'm glad. So far, my illustrations are very effective. They're simple, but they're effective. Made in the image of God and for God, who is love. Our life is meaningless, if not spent, not wasted, spent loving the body of Christ, loving the king's bride. Think about this. So, so far we've got prophecy, we've got knowledge, we've got mysteries, we've got faith mentioned here. Why does Christ, why did Christ give prophecy? To love his bride, to comfort her, to encourage her by speaking to her his heart. Knowledge is not of some subject that we can accumulate and spit for our own ego. Look how much I know. Knowledge is of a person. It's knowledge of a person who loved us to death. Mysteries are wonderful realities about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do in his extravagant love for us. Faith believes that he is who he says he is and he loves as he says he loves so that others are set on fire to trust him and obey him. These gifts are all love motivated. These gifts are all manifestations of love. And, verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Forget about the spiritual gifts. Forget about spectacular abilities, the ultimate sacrifices of every earthly possession and martyrdom of this mortal life mean absolutely nothing if fueled by personal recognition, by selfish gain. Liquidate everything. Be branded a slave. It's loss. Die for duty. Donate your life's work. Give it all away with the religious zeal of Mother Teresa and Mahatma Gandhi and Mormon missionaries. It'll be lost forever. If it's motivated to earn favor with God or to earn favor with fellow humans, it's a complete wash. Paul's just said. What is love? Love is the very being of God and the soul of man. It's the very life of God and the soul of a redeemed man. Love is the power of the new age which God endows his new creations who live in this world preparing to rule the world to come with Christ. Love is fundamentally extraterrestrial. Love is alien. Love is Christological. Love is the bleeding river from Calvary where God invaded the world to die for sinners he loves. He gave himself up for us. Paul says he loved me. And gave himself up for 
me. Not a group of people. Individuals. Love says that I am an insignificant casualty if my sacrifice in love leads to a soul being brought just a little bit nearer to the sinless one who became sin for them. Love is where the will of God and the will of man collide and whenever those two cross, someone has to die. Who's going to die? The God who already died in Christ? Who else does that leave? Who dies when the will of God meets the will of man? I must die. Christ already gave it all. He, he gave his body to be burned by God's wrath. He made mountains. He can't just move them. He made them. He does whatever he wants with mountains. He is knowledge. He is mystery. He's the great prophet who, who's now beloved in every tongue. He is the God who was and is and is to come. The God who is love. He's God. What's the gift of prophecy? The gift of tongues. Having all knowledge or mystery or faith. He's it. He's what it's all about. And you and I, we will never preach like him. We'll never give like him. We'll never lead like him or sympathize like him or serve like him. But fascinatingly enough, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.2, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He says you can love like him. Amazing, isn't it? Every gift given to every saint is given by him who is love. Is given to help us love like our king loves. From whom, Ephesians 4.16, the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies. See, that's why we need everyone here every week. What every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in Love. Love. Back to chapter 13, verse 8. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. You hear that? What are these gifts next to love? Look at the word order. Every time I approach this text, I learn something new. This week it was this. There were a few things, actually. This is probably the most pronounced. Look at the word order of number four alone. This is our transition to the rest of the evening, which is going to be uh, brief. Love is patient, kind. Love is not jealous. Love 
does not brag, is not puffed up, etc., etc., etc. After that, the word love vanishes. It's being referred to for the rest of the section. It's the subject very clearly, but it's fascinating that, again, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul writes it down once, twice, three times, as if to separate and stop thoughts. If he's punching Morse code, he's, he's saying at the end of each of those statements, stop, think. Love is patient, kind. Stop, think about that. Love is never jealous. Stop, think about that. Love is not puffed up, etc., etc., etc. Okay, first, love is above all patiently kind. Secondly, love is never jealous. Thirdly, I can know if I'm born of love, if I'm born from above by the God of love, by looking at what love does and does not do. We've got three points. Those are the points that we're going to fly through now. Love is, above all, patient, patiently kind. Verse 4, love is patient, kind, almost as if they are synonyms. They're treated as twins. Patient is passive. Kind is active. Patience is long-suffering. Patience is what God passively does as I'm being a butthead to him. I'm evil. I'm sinning. He's patient. He's passively patient. At the same time, God is actively kind. The word is excellent. He's excellent to me. The word is krestos, which is almost identical to Christos, and there's no irony in that. God is passively long-suffering, and he's continuing to do excellently towards me. This goes back to Exodus 34, verse 6, where Yahweh shows his glory to Moses. Yahweh passed by in front of Moses and called out, that is, cried out, he preached who he is, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, here it is, slow to anger. You know that the literal Hebrew word there means long of nostrils. I told the staff that today and they were giving me such a hard time. I said, I didn't write it. It's in the Bible, man. You think about it, long-nosed, long-faced. I must be a patient person because I got a pretty long nose. You think about animals that are short-snouted and they're impatient animals. The mad bull, the fat pig aren't patient. They're indulgent. They're angry. They're hasty. But God is is and loves being patient. He is short-fused. He doesn't huff and puff. He's not quickly angered. We think he's quickly angered, and we're wrong. He's abounding 
in loving kindness and truth, which is why John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth, by the way. He's quoting Exodus 34. Jesus is Yahweh. He keeps loving kindness for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Do you really know the God who is patiently kind? Have you found God to be patiently kind toward you? And if you do know him, if you're loved by him, if you love him, do you love like him? Patient, kind, Love suffers a long time while choosing to bless in the meantime. Love waits for what feels like an eternity doing good to sinners. God loves to be patiently excellent. Watch this. Our flesh views God Not as patient, but as impatient. Come on, Sam. Come on. You messed up again? Get with it. Hopefully tomorrow you have a better day. Come on, Sam. You're not getting it quick enough. Come on. Let's get with it. Oh, you're not doing that? Come on. Start doing that, Sam. Come on. We see a frowning God who's impatient. Our flesh sees a frowning God who's impatient. And guess what we do when we see God that way? We imitate him. We imitate all the time the God we see. Do you see a patient God? Or do you see an impatient God? Who are you imitating? That'll tell you right now how you see God. Love his discovered that God is the long-nosed bounty of true love who keeps forgiving every kind of failure we throw his way. Love imitates him, not some false, impatient God, but the true, patient God, so thrilled to be loved so well. By this great God. Love is patiently kind. Next. Love is never jealous. Verse 4. Love is not jealous. Now, why does the Holy Spirit inspire this by itself? Well, we're going to do a little bit of theology. In the last few years, I'm 36. In the last three years, I've been realizing how the simplicity of God and how God as Trinity basically floods out in everything else in scripture. It all comes back to the Trinity. It all comes back to the Trinity. If God is not Trinity, God is not God. We don't have the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, God is Trinity, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit, and each of those three persons are viciously jealous in love for each of the other persons. We are not dealing with a single person God who's saying, I'm a jealous God. 
we're dealing with a triune community that's jealous in love for one another. That's what it means that God is a jealous God. They're jealous for each other. So let me ask you the question. Do you have the love of your father for his son? Or that of your king for our father? Or that of the spirit for them both? Do you share in their jealous love for one another? This is going to make theology way more exciting for you. Because the point of it is to see God, the father, the son, and the spirit. To join in the love relationships between them. And so it's not some stale, rote, academic exercise. It's, I want to see them so as to love them, and being swept up in their love, I love other people like they love them. Namely, other people in the body of Christ. Those who are in Christ are in God. Now, how can we be jealous for ourselves? How can we be jealous with self-love as if we lack anything? We know, Paul says... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, his very loving purpose. Because those whom he foreknew in love, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son whom he loves. So that he, the son he loves, would be the firstborn among many brothers, which are called sons whom he loves. And those whom he predestined in his love, he also called in his love. And those whom he called in his love, he also justified in his love. And those whom he justified in his love, he also glorified in his love. What shall we say then to these things? If God is so for us, if he so loves us, who could possibly be against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How in the world can we be jealous? When we're staring that God in the face. Love isn't jealous for self. Love calls others into this great love. Finally. How can I know if I'm born in love? If I'm born from above? If I'm born of the God who is love? Verses 4 and 7. Love does not brag. Is not puffed up. It does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. By the way, why do you think that Paul has just listed a bunch of knots? A bunch of things that love doesn't do? Because so much of what we, everything that we instinctively do is not love. It's self-service. You see? But what does it do? It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures 
all things. Love never fails. Let me rephrase what Paul just said. Whenever I draw attention to myself and seek to make myself look good or misbehave, throw a hissy fit, insist on my own way or react when I don't get my way or hold a grudge when things don't go my way, that isn't love. When can I marvel? I am a new creature. I am a child of God. I've been born from the God of love. Celebrate when anyone shows you your sin and when anyone, whenever anyone praises the strengths of others. Celebrate. Helping them when they struggle or fail instead of criticizing or gossiping about them. Always believing the best about them. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that love is stupid and it believes everything that everything t- everyone tells them. No, no, no. It believes the best about the other always. And hopes the best about them when you have no reason to believe the best about them. Then endures with them in the meantime, even if they give you no reason to hope the best about them. We're going to close with an excruciating exercise. You ready? We're going to read our text again. And you're going to read your name in it. Instead of love, you're going to put your name. I'm going to use my name. Don't you dare use my name. You use your name. It's painful enough for me. Use this as a devotional this week. I want the word of God to crush us before we are lifted. Sam is patient. Oh, Sam is kind. Sam is not jealous. You guys feeling, you guys feeling the weight of this like I am? It pains me to say these things because I know lots of people who would beg to differ with the first three. Sam does not brag. Sam is not puffed up. Sam does not act unbecomingly. Sam does not seek his own. Sam is not provoked. Sam does not take into account a wrong suffered. Sam does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Sam rejoices with the truth. Sam bears all things. Sam believes all things. Sam hopes all things. Sam endures all things. How are you doing? Are you despairing like me? You want to know the best medicine in the world? Take that gulp. Let it sting all the way down. And chase it down with the sweet elixir of Christ 
and plug his name into each of those Christ is patient. Oh, thank God because I'm not. Christ is patient. Christ is kind. Jesus is not jealous. Jesus does not brag. Christ is not puffed up. Christ does not act unbecomingly. Christ does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus does not take into account a wrong suffered. That alone. Jesus does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Christ bears all things. Christ believes the best of us at all times. He saw the best in us and then he died to forgive us of it. Christ hopes all things. Christ endures all things. Praise God for his love. Father, we ask that as we think about these things, you minister them deep into our soul. And we ask that this would become the anthem of our life with you and the trademark of the body, the family here at Trinity Community Church. We sing now in response, believing, repenting, rejoicing, and comforted by your love. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Thank you.